Welcome to Shoot This Now. My name is Tim Malloy. Deirdre McCarrick, what do we do every week on Shoot This Now? Every week we talk about true stories that we think should be made into movies. Yes, and this week we have a really wonderful story that means a lot to me because I've actually met the person we talk about this episode. And he had a big impact on me as he had a big impact on I think everyone he met because he represented a dream of California. The idea that you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do, that you can make it to 96 years old doing things exactly your own damn way without relying on anybody. Wow, that sounds interesting. His name is Art Beale, and he is the anti-Citizen King. Oh, I love it. Okay, should we get into it? Yes, let's do it. Um, so to start, we are happily married? Sure, today. Yeah, today we are. Yeah, and every couple weeks, I try to get you to go up to um, San Simeon, which is the Hearst Castle, the home that William Randolph Hearst built as a monument to himself and his greatness. We all know William Randolph Hearst. He's the newspaper magnate who inspired Charles Foster Kane and Citizen Kane and represents kind of a super capitalist idea of the American dream. Um, Citizen Kane imagines him as a man who builds and takes and destroys, but he's never really satisfied. And Citizen Kane is regularly at the top of every best film, be it AFI or any, any recognition of film Citizen Kane's near or at the top. I was not aware of that, but it sounds, sure like, you it's, are. It sounds like it's pretty good. Yes. So Hearst Castle sits on 127 acres of the most gorgeous land on the Central Coast. Hearst called it La Cuenta Encantada, the Enchanted Hill. He probably didn't say it with a Spanish accent. The main building Yours includes... was flawless, by the way. <laughs> the main building includes twin turrets, like a fairy tale palace. The maritime mist rolls in and it looks like a kingdom in the clouds. There's an outdoor pool named for Neptune that includes statues of him and his maidens. There's an even more impressive indoor pool that's based on an ancient Roman bath covered in blue tile. The property overlooks a stretch of the Pacific Ocean where elephant seals battle for dominance. The males fight over which one of them, only one of them, every year will impregnate all of the females. Wow, it sounds majestic. It is an incredible place, a real monument to alpha maledom. Maybe that's why I haven't wanted to go see it. 15 minutes to the south, in Cambria, California, stands a house made of trash. Well, sign me up, partner. It is, in its own way, more impressive than Hearst Castle. The home at 881 Hillcrest Drive was built by hand by an eccentric former garbage man named Art Beale. And is this the subject of today's podcast? Art Beale is the subject of today's podcast. He is, to put it simply, no Citizen Kane. He lived as small as Hearst lived big. He got by in the scraps thrown away by others, including Hearst. He had a lot of jobs, including abalone diver and city garbage man. One of his jobs was being a junk man at Hearst Castle, where he hauled away items not perfect enough for William Randolph Hearst. If Hearst Castle is built to impress, Nitwit Ridge, the name of Art Beale's home, is a total mockery of pretension. He spent 50 years digging out its winding corridors with a shovel and a pick that he calls an idiot stick. It's lined with abalone shells and beer cans that he would drink on what he called coffee breaks and then build into the walls and the steps. It has a waterfall outside made of cast-off sinks. It has a barbecue area with an outhouse with two toilets. So, you know, if you're having a conversation at the barbecue, you don't have to break it off to go to the bathroom. Everyone can just go to the bathroom together. There's another toilet on the roof where Art would sometimes look down on visitors. If he liked the looks of them, he might invite them inside. If they were nice-looking ladies, for example, he was known to bring them inside and show them the woman's room, which was the one room in Nitwit Ridge, which was actually pretty well outfitted. Would he complete his business on the rooftop toilet before he would beckon women in? He's a gentleman. I'm sure he would. Okay. 
I'm not sure the rooftop toilet was even connected. Sometimes so it was just a seat. Sometimes the toilet's for for show or yeah. comedic value. Maybe it had one of those like fuzzy padded covers, and he just sat on it. If he didn't like the looks of people, he told them to move along. And one day, in late 1988, Art invited my mom and me inside. He must have liked the looks of us. He was living there alone with a swimsuit calendar from 1973 on his kitchen wall. He had no running water, and there were extension cords running to somewhere. Why now? Why this story now? I think why now? Because he represents an old idea of California that I think is dying. We've seen San Francisco, for instance, turn from kind of a wild, strange, hippie town, a town of like sailors and misfits, into a town that's very kind of corporatized and clean. Um where there's just the there's basically the homeless and then there's the people who are the haves. He represents an idea that you don't have to conform. You don't have to have a white picket fence or a nuclear family or try to be a millionaire or a billionaire like Hearst. When you think of the word hermit, that's really what he looked like by the time we met him, and maybe that's even what he was. And do you think it's a story specific to California, or is it representative of the U.S. as a whole? I mean, I think there's also a lot of ways that we're expected to conform on social media, for example— He's a guy who would have just gone analog. He's a guy who would have said, like, no, I'm good. I'm going to stick with books. I'm going to stick with my cassettes. I like what I like. He really, really resisted and did things his own way. And he was undoubtedly an artist as well. I think it sounds it sounds that way. He's one of the greatest folk artists in California and maybe anywhere ever. Cool. I'm curious to find out if he was um, acknowledged as such during his lifetime. Well, that's going to be the big conflict of this story. Um, Tell me more. <laughs> there's definitely going to be people who like him, and there's definitely going to be people who really don't like him. And as you might have guessed, his neighbors of his trash house really didn't like him a lot of the time. Mm-mm-mm. Some did. A lot didn't. There's a wonderful vlog on YouTube that's posted by the account Days with Jordan the Lion, uh, where there's a tour of Nitwit Ridge given by a man named Michael O'Malley. He gives a lot of information on Art Beale and the history of Nitwit Ridge, and it was a big help in learning more about Beale for this episode. So I'm going to really recommend that you check that out, um, Days with Jordan the Lion. Very cool vlog. I can't believe I said very cool vlog, but I'm going to stand by that. I'm also not sure how Art Beale would feel about vlogs in general, but that's neither here nor there. Well, he'd probably be baffled by vlogs because he was born in 1896, and why don't we get into his life story in our next segment? This sounds great. So we'll go through our acts, starting with Act 1. Yeah, you're very good at breaking down the acts into Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. You kind of helped me put this together, so I'll give it a try. Um, I don't know if we have some kind of framing device around this. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But here are the basic facts of his life that we'll get through in Act 1. His father, who he never meets, is Irish, like your parents. Preach. His mom was a Klamath Indian, and he always said she died in the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. He bounces around, he's in orphanages, he becomes an abalone diver, uh, he becomes a very good competitive swimmer, at one point he's involved in vaudeville and we see his sense of showmanship and whimsy later on, and of course he becomes a garbage man. Construction on Hearst Castle begins in 1919, he gets a job hauling things away. In 1928 he buys the land that will eventually become Nitwit Ridge. By 1931 he's met a nice woman, he has a nice conventional house on a nice plot of land. And according to the tour that Michael O'Malley gives in this wonderful video, he tells people that Gloria is the love of his life, but then things take a turn. Oh, Uh, no. Yeah. So we don't know exactly what happened, but Gloria leaves. 
and he lets their house fall into complete disrepair and basically be taken back by the land as he begins his new project. Taken back by the bank. No, no, taken no. back by the land. Oh, it's like when oh, you let, me oh my! When you let the the grass grow in, when you let the roof fall down, when you let the whole house. Oh, just, so they're like limbs coming through the floorboards and the windows. It's falling apart, and it's still there. I mean, the ruins of this house are still there with some of her shoes inside. So he, it sounds like he wanted initially to just go the, go the traditional route. He was planning to settle with this lovely woman in a traditional home, and that didn't work out. That didn't work out, and it changes him a lot, and that's the end of Act One. Okay. He starts building what will become Nitwit Ridge. In the 1940s, his neighbors start calling him Captain Nitwit. There's a joke that he may have been dropped on his head when he was a baby, and they really doubt his intelligence. He does things like drink beer and then take the cans and build them into the steps or build them into the walls of the thing he's building. He's finding pipes. He's finding abalone shells. He's finding anything he can find in nature and building it into his house. He always says that he's an Indian living off the land. He even finds electrical wire. He gets everything. The only thing he's willing to pay for is concrete. Anything wow. else that he can that he can find, he finds and scrounges, including stuff that he's taken from Hearst Castle. So the so town he's truly ahead of his time, at least in terms of this like repurposing of materials, which now is actually quite trendy. Yeah, I mean, you might call him a freegan if you wanted to put that kind of label on him. You might call him a hippie. Uh, he's definitely a back to the land guy, and he's definitely doing it himself. The town doesn't super appreciate what he's doing. He's fired as the garbage man in the late 50s. He's getting in financial trouble. And I think our second act is just like, how far out can this guy go? Like, how far outside of the norm is he going to go as things are kind of falling apart for him? He's losing some of his land. Um, He has tax trouble. He has all this stuff going on. Uh, This is the part where he starts sitting on the roof and like (laughs) yelling to people who pass by, either positive or negative things. So he might be considered, quote-unquote, like, the town eccentric at this point. He is so far beyond town eccentric. People have no idea what to make of him. And And could you describe Nitwit Ridge a bit more just to paint the picture? This isn't just a house with bottle caps in in the ceiling. I mean, this is truly like an installation. It's like an elaborate work of art, right, for all intents and purposes? It is part folk art, part shanty part conventional home, part castle. It is just an amazing place. I mean, being inside when I was a kid absolutely blew my mind. I mean, how cool this place is. Um, It feels like it's right on the edge of falling apart, but even when the big earthquake hits uh, in 1989, it stands. It survives. Like, he built it really well. He's built a really intricate, crazy structure that is, like, a bit of a labyrinth because not only is it the house, but there's also gardens, there's the barbecue area, there's the old house, there's just all of these different winding parts of it. It's like one of those, it's one of, in my mind, like the big three of California houses you have to see, like with Hearst Castle and the Winchester Mansion. So in 1965, as he's getting older, I mean, he's like seven, 69 at this point, he takes a fall on his stairs. He needs a few hundred dollars for his medical bills. A guy in town gives him the money, but this starts a problem for him. And this is towards, you know, the end of Act Two. It starts a problem for him because this guy is nagging him for years to give him the money back. Meanwhile, he's becoming kind of an icon with like hippies and stuff like that. People who realize like this guy has been doing this really cool thing and he's starting to get more fans and more supporters and people who love what he's doing. It's becoming a tourist attraction, 
but he's also getting some pressure to like go conventional, move out. You're too old to be living here alone. Uh, this isn't a proper place for an old man to live. So act three, this loan is due. There's a real risk that he might be kicked out of his home. Things do not look good for him. And then enough people in the town have come around and finally realized how valuable he is and how important his independence is. And they start this foundation where they pay off his debts and they let him keep living in the house where he continues to live until 1989. Wow. When he is, my God, 92 years old. Wow. In 1981, it actually gets California historical landmark status, just like Hearst Castle did. Wow. Did did it get it first? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. It is number 939 on the list. Um, Hearst Castle is number 640. So Hearst Castle got there first, but Nitwit Ridge is 939, which is very respectable. Would you like to know what the what the plaque says? I would love that. Nitwit Ridge, one of California's remarkable 20th century folk art environments, is the creation of Arthur Harold Beale, Der Tinkerpaw, or Captain Nitwit, a Cambria Pines pioneer who sculpted the land using hand tools and indigenous materials, inventiveness, and self-taught skills. A blend of native materials and contemporary elements, impressive in its sheer mass and meticulous placement, is a revealing memorial to art's cosmic humor and zest for life. Wow, what a tribute. They call them Tinker Paw because he tinkered with his paws. I, I love that. <laughs> That's some, I would call my dad that almost. Tinker Paw. <laughs> I'm so in so by nineteen eighty one it sounds like he is starting to get recognized as not just this like mad scientist, eccentric hermit who's like a blight on the town. It sounds like people have come around to that point and are appreciating him. He really has. There's a lovely video posted on YouTube by one of his friends in town where it's just him and some of the cats that he takes care of because he has these gardens. He has all these different plants that he's growing. He has a really idyllic existence. And somebody asked him, you know, what are the names of these cats? And he says, Grandma, Muggins, Peanuts, Tiger Number 2, Tiger Number 1, Old Duke. And they say, oh, Art, these are your cats? And he says, no, they belong to those two old ladies. And they go, what old ladies? And he says, Mother Earth and Dame Nature. And I feel like that's who he belongs to, too. So it sounds like he's just this incredibly democratic communal person who, as any amazing artist often is, sees things in terms of everyone owns them versus like single ownership, right? Like artists for the people. Well, it's funny. Midwit Ridge is actually for sale right now. What happens to it? And I don't know how, how we handle this. I don't know if it goes in a... Uh in a sort of after message or whatever um, text at the end of the movie. But the guy I mentioned, Michael O'Malley and Stacey O'Malley, uh, become the owners of Nitwit Ridge in 1999. They clean it up and they start offering these great tours. And it went for sale, went up for sale last year. Uh, it's a tricky property because since it is a California registered historical landmark, you can't tear it down. You can't make serious changes to it. You can make improvements, but you can't um, take away its character. Uh, so whoever buys it is getting this very unusual house. Wow. Is it livable? I mean, could you actually live in there? 
Is there electricity? I mean, is it like a fully functioning home? He was connected to the city's plumbing at some point. I think he also collected water because we had like different sinks outside that would have a waterfall that would give him more water. When we were inside, my mom thought she was pretty sure that he had actually run electrical cords outside uh, and had somehow tapped into city electricity. Nice. He seemed to be doing a lot with extension cords like that season on the wire where the kids do that out the window. Yeah. So he was juicing. He was juicing Mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. Um, And he's living, he's just doing some really brilliant things. For example, he has a section of the house that always stays 50 degrees because it's inside and it's well shaded. And he would keep some food there and he would keep some dairy there. So he didn't have refrigeration. Um, That's kind of debatable. When we were there, what happened was we went to go see Nitwit Ridge. And then we see this incredible Gandalf looking guy walking down the street. And my dad says, oh, my God, that's Art Beale. And we stop and say, hi, Art, where are you going? And he's really nice and friendly. And he says, I'm going down to get some Copenhagen. And so we took him down to the local, I guess, AMPM to get some Copenhagen, which is tobacco. And he walks in and he has a check that he's trying to cash and they can't get it cashed. They're just like, just take the Copenhagen. And so we took him home and helped him. My mom like insisted that we help him get up the stairs because he's an old man. Of course, he goes up the stairs by himself all the time. But, you know, she's like a legal aid attorney and a, is, is always kind of looking after the elderly <laughs> So we end up going into his house, and this is where we see all of this stuff and how incredible it is. And the one kind of concerning thing is he's drinking milk that is definitely turned. Like he's drinking curdled milk. Ooh. And he's apparently okay with that. Like it's not a concern He likes to the him. flavor. I mean, my mom is really worried about this, so she calls the local authorities and tries to find wow. out if he's okay. So and your mom's s- a narc. <laughs> well, my mom's a narc or my mom is a social worker, depending on how you... I mean, her job is to help people who are who are poor and not great housing. And she's on vacation and she finds one uh, living in pretty extreme conditions. So when she calls and tells them about the milk, they say, oh, yeah, we know all about art. Did he get his check? And she's like, yeah, he did have a check. And they're like, OK, that's good. So 8889 is when the city starts getting concerned about him. Not necessarily because of my mom, but probably a lot of people like my mom checking in on him. And he's finally taken out of his home and taken to a rest home. And he then breaks out of the rest home numerous times and hitchhikes down Highway 1 to get back to Nitway Ridge. Wow. I love that. <laughs> yeah. He's incredible. I sort of like that ending, actually. I, I sort of like Act 3 being like, you know, all this pressure on him that, you know, he's succeeded, he's triumphed in a way, but he's still getting like all this oppression and people trying to take him out of his home and he's too old and then... Finally, he ultimately succeeds in the, I don't know. I, I think it's, there's sort of this really nice ending around like his spirit and his refusal to conform. And we see him like hitchhiking. I just love that. Yeah. And Despite also, everything. And he's like in his nineties at this point. And I also like that now this incredible house that he's made is for all of us and we all appreciate it. Totally. Yeah. I think he won. Like I really do. None of us live forever. The, I mean, the movie ends with him you know, dying probably, but he dies at 96, which is a win. Yeah, and I don't even think we need to see him dying. I think we just need to see him on the side of a road with a th- his thumb up. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I really like that. I really like that. He is just never, never breaking. Never surrendered him. So that's the story of Nitwit Ridge. I still absolutely love that name, and I love that he used kind of the name that 
his neighbors mocked him with and kind of took ownership over it. Yeah. So that gets us to the next segment of our show. We talked about the inspiration. Now let's make this thing. Who's directing it? Who's starring in it? Let's talk about your thoughts. Okay. Well, as you know, we just talk about stories that we would really like to see in a theater. And when we talked about who could play Art Beale, we knew that we needed somebody who's a really good actor who can do from age like 20 to age 90 something, who can age frontwards and backwards, um, who has a real feel for this and for period pieces. And we both said the same person. Do you mm-hmm. want to do it on three? One, two, three. Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Which we never do. We never agree on the person on the first Never. Try. No. And he seems like perfect for it. I know after the Joker movie, he might be really popular. Or maybe really not popular, depending on how that goes. Um, maybe he'll want to do something super different. I mean, I think it's a challenging role because it's a tiny bit of an anti-hero. Um, and it's also, how do you make this s- sort of curmudgeonly hermit also very, very likable? And you're rooting for him. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's nuanced. Yeah, I think he'd be good. And also, having met him, I think he kind of looks like Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, because if you think about it, sometimes, I mean, the thought of someone drinking um, milk that's gone bad is kind of gross. Yeah. So it's like, how do I make that not gross and repulsive? How do I make this guy still endearing and break through some of these things that are on the surface a little unattractive? Well, I'm not recommending anybody drink curdled milk, but I think it's safe to say he'd built up an immunity to a lot of things and was able to handle a lot of rugged living that most people couldn't. So it kind of reminds me of Joaquin Phoenix drinking like weird alcohols that he concocts in The Master. Yeah. Um, And also that is a time period that overlaps with this time Mm -hmm. period and feels like another kind of Manifest Destiny California type story. Uh, So I I know The Master spans a a lot of territory. That's what this makes me think of. Yeah, I, I think I think he'd knock it out of the park. I think he'd be. I, I actually don't even have a runner-up. I don't either. I really don't. And I'll le- although we didn't talk about directors, I mean, of course, if P.T. Anderson wanted to do this, it is kind of the master crossed with elements of Phantom Thread. I mean, because it's about an obsessive creator who people don't really understand. Sure. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, we didn't do comps at the beginning like we usually do, but uh, I think I would go with that. I would also go with the anti-Citizen Kane. And I don't know exactly what his rosebud is, but I think it's pretty safe to say that Gloria is his rosebud. Um, I We talked about who could be the woman in his life who sort of represents the promise and the hope of like, you know, the West Coast living, but also kind of decides to go for more conventional life um, and could even just be just a heartbreaker. And we talked about Anna Kendrick. We did. We talked about Anna Kendrick. We thought it's someone who kind of has to also read uh, traditions she kind of has to read like the institution to a certain extent yeah. i think so you get that juxtaposition i also think it's important that it's not black and white in my mind uh, that what he's doing is right or wrong like i think he's our hero at the end ultimately and we appreciate his the path he's taken yeah but i think there's also probably part of him that's like do i i wish i was with gloria you know? Oh, he absolutely wishes he was with Gloria. Yeah. I mean, he misses Gloria, and he's doing a lot of this out of a reaction to Gloria leaving. And I think even the way that he kind of, like, his female relationships going forward, he doesn't ever meet anybody else. I mean, he has these, like, short <laughs> short situations where he sees women 
who like stop by to see the house and he invites them to stay in the woman's room and maybe has something going on with them but there's nothing serious and he has like you know what we would call like girly calendars on his wall of like hula girls from 1973 as of 1989 i mean he has like kind of old-fashioned like <laughs> when you go to the mechanic and they still have girly calendars yeah totally um yeah and i mean i i think you one could even infer it's possible that nitwood ridge was um a a, a a testament or an homage to Gloria. You know, it, maybe it's the Taj Mahal of um, California. Yeah, I think it's, I like that. I, I think it's that, but it might be like a negative response to her. It might be like, I'm not going to do anything to prove myself to anybody ever again. Yeah. I'm going to do things completely my own way. Yeah, it could be a monument to individualism as well. It's definitely it that. It could be completely romantic or it could be, all about the ego. <laughs> and I'm fine with either, honestly. I mean, it's real stubborn. You've got to have a lot of stubbornness to keep that place going when all of your neighbors are like, tear it down right now. I know. I agree. I mean, it's stubbornness and it's a determination. And to bring some of your neighbors around. Yeah. it's, I, And that's why I think the second act is so interesting because that's a lot of what he has to do. He's physically building this thing, but then he's also bringing people around and getting them on board. Is there anybody else you would like to direct this? The other person I was thinking of is Alexander Payne. Oh, God, I'd love to see that movie. Yeah, I mean, I think, one, because actually my runner-up now in retrospect for um, for art is Bruce Dern. But he, <laughs> he, I think the way he made Bruce Dern's character so lovable and detestable in Nebraska was yeah. spectacular. Yeah. And that's a very simple storyline. And he made it so compelling. It's it's really I absolutely love that movie. Um I think he I think he's very good doing like really great American movies. So I yeah. I think he could do a good job on this. Are you gonna de age Bruce Dern Irishman style? Depending on how Yeah, I think out? we just need a hundred million dollars. <laughs> it's just a nice easy hundred mil. Uh, I mean why not? It's a well, couldn't someone else play the younger art? So you would do so. Our dream version would be um, Lockheed Phoenix as the young guy, and Bruce Stern as the old guy. Sure. Yeah. I'm okay, okay with that. I'm okay with that I'm too. Absolutely fine with that. I mean, I told you I recently saw um, Once Upon a Time in America, and yeah. in it, Robert De Niro's character Noodles advances in age. It's about a 40 year period. All they do is gray his temples. That is it. He goes from like 25 to 65. So I'm like, you know what? Just who cares? People get it. I'm reading um, the excellent biography De Niro by Sean Levy. And he talks about what a good job they did aging him and how it's one of the best examples of movie aging. But it's really cool that you can now actually look at De Niro at the age of noodles and see what he really does look like. Yeah. It's pretty different. It is, yeah. But it's also... You don't need much. Your imagination play, and and a really good actor can can play an older character just in like their physicality and their body language. The best makeup is a good actor. It's true. All you really have to do is just like get up sl- more slowly and like get out of cars more slowly. Yeah. You just don't bounce out of cars and you don't bounce up. You just kind of and you touch your back more. That's it. Those are my acting tips. Art Field did all those things when he was in my family's Volvo. See. Yeah. So, it's an interesting one. I like it. Cool. Uh, what do you call this thing? Nitwit? 
Yeah, I think you'd call this nitwit. I think the pretentious name would be indigenous materials. I think you'd call it citizen art. I think you could Oof. call it... Nope. Barf. Barf, all right. Uh, I think you could just call it nitwit ridge. I mean, that's pretty catchy. Yeah, I mean, I love the irony of nitwit. I love the irony of that. Like, this man built this incredible, incredible um, home that's a national... California. The, yeah. Still pretty good. California treasure. California is still good enough. I'll take it. <laughs> it's a California registered historical landmark, not yet a United States historical landmark, President Trump. Boo, hiss. <laughs> uh, if you like this episode, please give us stars on iTunes, or better yet, tell your spouse. If you like the episode, if you don't have a spouse, tell your friend who kind of functions as your spouse, or your mom or your dad. This story is for older people. They'll appreciate it. Tell your grandparents who don't want to move out of their house. Hey, you're right. Don't move into that nursing home. You're doing the right thing. Absolutely. Or your parents or your grandparents. I don't know how old you are. Whatever. Yeah, I think everyone should tell the senior citizens in their lives to stay put and tell them to listen to this podcast. Tell the senior citizens in your life, whether they listen to, po- to podcasts on Spotify, on Apple, on Luminary, whatever the new stuff is, you know, try shoot this now. It has guns. You like guns. Sure. You were in World War II slash Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. World War One, even some of you, some of them. Tell the not world many, tell but the a world, few. <laughs> tell the World War One veteran in your life to check out this episode. Thank you very much. Uh, we're on at Shoot This Now Pod on Twitter. If you have any ideas for things that should be episodes, Deirdre, are we still happily married? Um, yes. Thanks, everybody. Then Bye. this is a huge success. Mm-hmm.